Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. Thank you for joining me again. Today I have a wonderful guest, but before I introduce her, I want to give a special shout out and thanks to all my Patreon su subscribers. I truly appreciate it. Y'all are really making a big difference. We have Shell at $50 a month. We have Sam and Angela Shelke at $20.20 a month. We have the Plandemic Reprimando tier with Linda, Perry, Ty. We have at a $10 self-made level, Katie and Kevin. At the Refine Not Burned $5 level, we have Emmy, Joe, Pat, and Bev, PJ, Rebecca. And at the Courage is Contagious, the $1 a month, we have Amanda, we have Jay, and Spetsnasty. Thank you so much. Please encourage your friends to listen, and I try to get episodes up early at Patreon so y'all can hear those before everyone else can. Today we have a very special guest. We have Sasha Latipova. Sorry, Ed. Took a couple times to get that right. So certainly want to say it right because you are bringing amazing information. Now, instead of me trying to make my way through how you're one of the best people to hear this from, can you just tell us yourself and tell us your research and what you've been finding? Yes. Well, thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. My background is in pharmaceutical research and development, and I, I worked about 25 years in various capacities in the in the industry. I ultimately ran several contract research organizations focused on delivering clinical trials, working in clinical trials all over the world for pharmaceutical companies. I had over 60 clients, large and small pharmas. Pfizer was one of them. So it was AstraZeneca and, and Johnson Johnson, Novartis, big companies. And, you know, I worked in pretty much all therapeutic areas, but I never worked in vaccines. And I, I now realize that it's a whole different Ball game, devoid of largely devoid of regulations, and so. But but my experience is from highly regulated drugs and biologics and medical devices space. So and that's you know I retired from the industry and I, I was living a very happy life. I didn't want to come back. I, I saw that never see it again. And then in 2020, I became very concerned with what was going on. I was very concerned with how they were misrepresenting and lying to the public openly. I, I knew that the professionals were lying, especially about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and misrepresenting the safety profiles of those drugs, which were very well known and characterized. And so that was a red flag for me. And that's when I started you know, investigating, looking into data for myself. I looked into VAERS data a lot, and I also read now, you know, a lot of FOIA documents became available. So, and that's how my my research is based on, on those things. Well, thank you for giving us that background. So tell us about your research, because we talked a little bit before we just started, and you were nodding your head and like, yep, yep, I found all that. I found everything that and this is, and I know you haven't watched it yet, but it was the episode that I did, episode 33, Biowarfare, part one. And and you found a lot of the similar things. And I've heard you speak before, and you expound on it so much more. And that's why I just really wanted you to come on and talk about it. Sorry, can you repeat the question? Because the first part kind of cut off. Yeah, so we started talking before we started recording, and a lot of the things that I was mentioning, you had come across, and, and I've heard you speak in other locations, and you've gone so much more in depth to what I was kind of skimming the surface on, and how so much of what we're seeing, like the virus, the, vac the alleged vaccine, this genetic therapy, is seems to all be a DOD operation. Yeah, so so it actually is a DOD operation. So the, the Department of Defense is chief operating officer of 
the COVID response or operation warp speed. And all of the COVID products, they're, they're categorized as countermeasures. And this includes vaccines, but it also includes, well, they're not vaccines, but that's what they call them. It includes therapeutics and various sorts of things, like even masks and tests and staffing. And, you know, so anything that's related to COVID is categorized under this countermeasure and funded through DOD and implemented with very tight control from the DOD. Everything starting from the design, yeah, to the implementation and manufacturing. Can I pause you for a second? Because you said a word that I think is very important to define, and I have not defined this because I, I did not see this, and I'm glad that you're bringing it forth. Countermeasures. What does countermeasures mean, and what is the implication of that word? Yeah, it's it's a very important category to understand. Well, actually, it's very vaguely defined. So pretty much anything can be a countermeasure, right? You can, you know, pick up a rock and throw at somebody, and it will be a countermeasure. So they deliberately define it so broadly and so vaguely that pretty much anything that they want to throw into this category can can go there. And in this case, they're called medical countermeasures, although it's you know. It doesn't doesn't make it more specific than than that. And yeah, but the countermeasure. So so uh, people need to understand that drugs, vaccines, medical devices and, you know, things like that. These are all legal categories. So once you designate something as a drug, the regulators designate it as a class of drug based on the risk class one, class two, class three, or a medical device, same thing. And then a whole set of laws apply to that thing. So once it's categorized properly in legal terms, which is drug or vaccine or medical device, then there are laws that apply to it that regulate how, the, you know, especially the quality of, of its manufacture, reproducibility, consistency, purity, potency, labeling, and of course, how all of those, the claims that manufacturers are making, let's say, you know, I'm making a device to make you see better, right? So then you have to prove that claim in the clinical trial. The same with drugs, same with vaccines in, in theory. But this is none of those. This category of countermeasures is none of those. There are no regulatory frameworks or laws that apply to countermeasures as far as how they're going to be made, how are they going to be tested, what labeling applies to them. They're outside of the regulated space. There, even the you know we know that for example for vaccines in general there's very little liability or practically no liability, but at least some somebody who is injured by a vaccine, let's say a childhood vaccination they can submit a claim to the National Vaccine Injury Fund. And I, well, the first thing I, when they started, you know, saying we're going to approve these, these mRNA vaccines, I went and looked, is it on the National Vaccine Injury Fund? And it's not. It's not because it's not a vaccine. It's a countermeasure. There's a separate claims process for countermeasures that very rarely pays anybody else. There's limitation only for one year to file the claim. And so that, again, it just tells you it's a whole different category of things for which laws do not apply, regulations do not apply, clinical trials cannot happen for these things, and labeling can be whatever whatever these criminals think of, they can mislabel them as much as they want. And so so that's what that's what people need to understand. So countermeasure is something that doesn't fall into the regular laws applying to the drugs, medical devices, and vaccines. 
Thank you. So, so what you're saying, and let me just kind of, you know, summarize all that is the countermeasures have nothing to do with law and they're countermeasures for war. And when you're at war, people don't care about rules and laws and regulations because we're at war. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the justification the government gives is like, well, you, uh, we have to have these countermeasures for when we have an attack, somebody throws a nuclear bomb at us and, you know, there's, there's a desperate situation and we need to provide something and therefore no liability can be expected. Okay, well, that's fine as an argument, but then you can't mandate everyone to be injected with that thing. If it's so desperate and no laws applying, then you can't mandate it either. You can offer it, sure. Especially if you disclose, you know, here's the situation, here's what we're offering. That's totally okay. But what they're doing is 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 the opposite of this. They're they're misrepresenting the act of war as a health event. And they have been doing it since the beginning, since March or February 2020. They're misrepresenting the act of war as a health event, and then they're lying to people of what they're using, which is these unregulated countermeasures that DOD makes, and they're misrepresenting them as a pharmaceutical product that Pfizer makes. You know, so so that's that's the biggest lie that everybody has been subjected to. Yeah, I think it's it's incredible because for my for my research, I, I found then I can definitively say we, if we declared war, which I think we did, we did it on 27 March when we declared an emergency so that we could have the legal authority to make emergency use authorization a thing. And we see that with masks, right? So many people don't quite understand that any mask mandate is unlawful because masks are authorized under the EUA to help stop the spread of viruses, which that's not a thing that can't happen. They're more dangerous and deadly and harmful than they are helpful. Recently at my post, they had a mask mandate for these past four weeks, and today it gets lifted. Well, it's all EUA. You can't tell a soldier or any any service member, any civilian, you can't force them to wear something that's an experimental use authorized product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the masks are likewise categorized as countermeasures. And again, you know, it's it's completely misrepresented what it's for. And you're correct. The the this whole COVID thing isn't it was treated by the U.S. government from the very beginning as an act of war because they the COVID policy was set by the National Security Council, and Security Council doesn't have any health agencies, no no health representatives on it. It has primarily Department of Defense, Joint Chiefs of Staff, Treasury, and intelligence agencies. So and and its and its its purpose is to advise the president on foreign policy and things like, like wars, right? So okay, so the government goes and treats it as an act of war, uses all these legal mechanisms as if it's a war, and then they tell all of us, oh, it's it's a virus, it's a health thing, it's a flu, you know, and don't even mention that it it came from a lab. No, 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 it's totally it's totally natural. It jumped from a bat. You know, all this nonsense was going on for years to just scare people into compliance. And then they were lying and lying about the treatments that were totally appropriate and available. And then they scared everyone into injecting themselves with this bioweapon type of a deal. So can you go in depth into some of the things that I, you were on a whole Zoom meeting or maybe it was a Skype meeting, I don't know, with quite a few other people. I think it was the fifth doctor from Canada and... Can you get into some of that research? Because that is just mind-blowing. 
Yeah. So, so we were discussing, we were discussing the, you know, we were discussing the duty contracts and how this is, this, this legal structure has been put in place over time. So what happened in the U.S., and this goes back many, many years, but at least, you know, we can trace it to specific acts of Congress that my colleague Catherine Watt has documented and specifically three key pieces that people need to be aware of. It's, it's the emergency use authorization that was put in place in 97, but it's, it's been amended many times. And so emergency use authorization just allows FDA to, to issue, a, not, it's not an approval, it's like authorization. So basically it's, a, it's an okay to go on market with a product that hasn't been sufficiently tested yet. And and initially when it was put in place, they were justifying it as oh, just for desperate situations, terminal cancer, you know, things for which there are, and, and one of the key, there are four conditions that need to exist for it. One of the most critical ones is that there are no alternative treatments. And if there are no alternative treatments and something really desperate and terminal, the FDA can say, okay, you can use it under emergency use, but it's also very limited. So it's limited to specifically defined condition application, no treatment, and then only for one year. You have to actually like renew it every year and ultimately you can't forever renew it. You have to eventually test your product. So, but that was put in place in 97. Then, then they put this, they started using these, these other transaction authority contracts. Like that was put in place in the sixties actually, but it was only given authority to NASA to do these contracts. And eventually it, it, you know, creeped up and expanded. And by now all, you know, I think 11 agencies use it. DOD is a particular user of it. Probably majority of the OTAs are through DOD. And OTA is it's another carve out. It's it's a, it's just a way to contract without following any normal federal procurement rules and regulations, and it's not subject to oversight. And you can hide a lot of information in it. And you can shield IP through it, and you also can order. So Department of Defense can order things from regulated industry such as pharma without following any regulations and exempting them from following any regulations. And so that. So let's let's have an let me give an example and tell me if this is correct. Let's say I'm the DOD and I have this little widget that's a medical widget and I have no idea if it's safe or not. I can use this this way to make a contract to have XYC XYZ pharmacy produce this widget so that I can give it to my service members. Whether it's safe or not doesn't matter because it's it's mine. I'm just procuring their manufacturing facilities to make it. Yeah, that that can happen, and that they have been doing it, and actually they use it this OTA procurement method for making weapons, like proper weapons. So a lot of the defense contractors are contracted through this methodology, and they produce regular weapons. Okay, but then then they also started expanding this into the medical things, and it's true, and so they they can order whatever they want without following any regulations now in the medical field that's obviously very dangerous and 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 now they went even further and started mandating it so as as you know there was a big scandal in the anthrax era so when about 200,000 service members were injured by these injections which were completely developed even before so the anthrax vaccine was approved, so-called approved, before FDA had a regulatory mandate to regulate vaccines. 
So it was approved in 1970, but FDA started regulating vaccines in 1972. And it was never actually approved. And then, you know, in the Gulf War, they, so, so yeah, so they started, so they, they had this, at, at the time they were called Bioport, and now it's called Emergent Biosolutions, this, this very shady company that never followed any rules ever. You know, very favorite Department of Defense contractor making those, and it's exclusively making this anthrax concoction. And they were making it and they were, they kept relabeling. So like the expiration date would pass and they would just test a bunch of vials, not not do any proper testing, then relabel it, relabel it. So they were relabeling it for so long that, you know, I was talking to Meryl Nass, who has a lot of experience in it. She was saying, well, the, the caps were disintegrating into the vials and they would still pass them and relabel for the next, you know, decade or so <laughs> shelf so life. At this point, you got to have the labels building up so much that they're like making the vial larger. Probably, yeah. So it, she said they were horrific. They were extremely dirty, and they would just, you know, pass it on and and then keep it in the stock. And then eventually, in the Gulf War, remember they started deploying it and they started using it on on service members, and they started mandating it while it was still considered EUA for that application. And that was a huge scandal. And there was a you know a court case, and it was a decision that you cannot mandate EUA products on service members. It was actually Dover's Rumsfeld and Doe lives, Doe lives just down the street from me. And I was able to sit with him and talk with him. And that, that lawyer that won that case, Dale Saran, I, he was the first lawyer that I ever talked to that ever answered the phone, picked up and I wrote an affidavit for him. And I can't talk about the affidavit because I'm active duty, but I can talk about my medical exemption that I was giving to service members, which is the same document. Just, it was blossomed a little bit more. But I talked about the lipid nanoparticle and how it it's not validated for human use per the safety data sheet from the manufacturer. But here we are injecting it into humans. Well, they would do, they were doing the same with this anthrax stuff, and they're doing they're running essentially the same script, except now they're forcing it on all people, all civilians as well, right? And pregnant women, children. And, you know, but they're using the same tactics that they were using before with, with this anthrax stuff. Yeah, the lipid nanoparticle, you're correct. And a lot of ingredients, but particularly lipids in these injections are pharmaceutical grade. They're not for human use. They have never been tested for human use. And you know, there's a, a lot of components of this uh, of this product that are completely unvalidated and untested. And yet they're forcing it on everybody. One thing about the, the word force is this is something I'm pretty particular about. I like to use the word coerce because I, I feel that people were coerced. No one's been grabbed and pinned down just yet. Well, I don't physically that... pinned down and gone to the head, no. But, I, you know, I, I kind of use force as broader, <laughs> in broader sense. Yeah. No, it, 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 so it's, I'm using the most strict sense, but, but you're right. People have been coerced and, then, you know, they've been said, well, you're not going to get, they've been told you're not going to get your job and you're going to lose all your money. And so in a way it is forced, but I... I try to make those distinctions so that people can think, well, I made the choice, you know, and they don't have to continue making that choice to get more of them. In fact, they should make the choice to never get any more bioweapons put into their body. Yeah, absolutely. And people should, people should stop. In fact, I, you know, while I say the government is forcing people or coercing people, I, you know, my personal experience and maybe my selection of friends is not representative of, of everybody on the planet. But, you know, I, I found that nobody was even coerced, really. They they obeyed some fear of something that they had in their head. 
which never materialized. And in fact, those few who didn't, and they were even in the low-level jobs in healthcare, they didn't, and there were no the the the, the threats never materialized. You know, so so a lot of this coercion is also bluffing. You know, they know that they don't have any legal standing, legal ground to actually mandate these things. Yet they do, and they bluff people into submission. So that's that's what in reality it is for the most part. And peer pressure. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure in countries where people have who have last names like you and like me, where they come from, there's been times where it wasn't even the government. It was their their neighbors who would force them, coerce them, make them feel bad, peer pressure, right? I mean, just, and that that in itself, like I went to the gym the other day and there was this lady there. She's like, well, I don't want to lose my job because you're not wearing a mask. It's like, well, you're not the police, ma'am. I'm the one who's going to get in trouble. They have mask mandate where you are? Wait, because there was a alleged rise in COVID cases at my fort. And so it ended today. Like the day we're recording this is the day that it ended. But I never wore it because it's an EUA product. And so I don't care if you're the president of the United States. You can't order me to, to wear, to use, to participate in any experiments. Yeah, I, I did the same. I never wore them. I mean, we, we, there was, there were mandates here, but like a year ago. Yeah. And I, I, I never did. I was just, you know, I, I let people know what exactly I thought about it, but. <laughs> I, I wish I had that boldness back then because I wore it for about two years. And it reminds me of Jordan Peterson, how he says, you know, we must, we must not lie. And he says that like the Soviet Union was based on lies. People were in their homes and you had to be happy because someone had a gun to your head. And if you weren't happy, then that wasn't, then you're saying that the government wasn't designed properly. Well, the government was designed by these elites who said it's designed properly. So either you lie and say you're happy and things are good, or they put a gun to your head and take you off to some gulag and you never are seen again. So you lie. And when you have a whole country based on lies like that, it comes crashing down. Yeah, but they're, they're installing it here now the same system that's what they want to do you know like you you will own nothing right and so i refuse to lie about the mask i'm not going to wear it because for me to wear it it's it's very very important not to lie even you know what you'd think is a small thing like a mask like they'll say well why why are you making such a big deal out of it you know you're just being an inconvenient and and the drama queen right no no it's very very important you start you start by not lying at all and if you start you start conceding to these kinds of things, then then it it it, be, it becomes that's how they f- push you into this paradigm where everything is a lie and you're agreeing with all of it, you know. So and and that's how you you can see these people they've been so brainwashed and terrorized that you know that that they they can't you know they know so eventually it becomes like you can't dissociate so so much anymore you can't have these two realities so so it, they really just become victims of psychological torture essentially these people and and and, and you don't want to end up there it's a really bad place one one thing that i've noticed i used to listen to this rabbi quite a bit and one thing he said is he he would say that the the food laws around the Jewish people, so the kosher laws that they have, was not for medical reasons. I mean, there, there are some medical benefits to it, right? But it wasn't for that. It was to set them apart and to get them good at saying no. And he called it a no muscle. And when you exercise that no muscle, it gets easier to say no. It doesn't get harder. It gets easier. 
Like for me, when someone says, hey, you want this vaccine? It's even easier for me to say, no, thank you. I've been doing it for two, three years. I'll continue not taking those. And so as you do it more, as you not lie more and tell the truth more, and how do you know what the truth is? Well, it's the thing that doesn't make you feel weak when you do it. When you wear a mask, do you feel stronger? Do you feel weaker? I feel weaker, so I don't it's do a, it because it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I didn't understand the food laws um, before this crisis and the religious, you know, food food laws or or some some religious groups, I guess, you know, they refuse medical treatment or refuse blood transfusion, which I do now because everybody, you know, they, they can separate the vaccinated blood. But that becomes more clear in these types of crises. In fact, the, the Daniel story is, is about that too. Like he refused the food from Pharaoh, right? Because it wasn't pure food. And so that that's what it needs to, it's, it's, it starts, it's everything. Like your, your men, mental, you know, you, you need to be mentally pure because you're telling the truth to the best of your knowledge. And then that also translates to the whole body, right? And so the food, rules while some people say well that's just excessive and you know illogical it does have a lot of sense okay can we go back into some of those contracts that you found and things <laughs> sure yeah so we yeah so where where was it so so right so we were talking about the emergency use authorization as one piece an ota contracting which allows you to bypass all the regulations and the fact that these things are classified as countermeasures so other transaction authority is the contracting that DOD uses a lot for regular weapons, for bioweapons, for medical. So these medical countermeasures, because all of it allows them to bypass the rules and regulations. And in fact, they define them very, very vaguely. There is a set of law that says something about these countermeasures. And I read it and it makes absolutely no sense. It's just a bunch of words that translates to stuff that Department of Defense needs, okay? And uh, and in, within the stuff, you can hide the weapons because that's most of the time what Department of Defense needs. And, you know, so they, they order them through these OTAs. They order them through, uh, there are a bunch of consortia of defense. They're managed by Advanced Technologies International. It's their manager that passes through trillions of dollars into making everything from, you know, machine guns, helicopters, the Navy carriers, the, the you know, everything. And now they also manage two sort of health related things. And it looks a lot of like a bioweapons factories, frankly, you know, just contracting with a bunch of private industry to deliver whatever they need. And then the third piece is, of course, they needed the, they needed the public health emergency. So public health emergency puts the country into essentially state state of war. So the way the, the, the laws that they invoked, Stafford Act, which was never been used before, they, and the National Security Council in, in charge of it. So that put us into the state of war. Under the state of war, when they use the emergency use authorized countermeasures, those cannot be clinical investigations. So it's not possible to do a clinical investigation on a countermeasure used as emergency use during public health emergency. So that that's the critical component. That's how this whole legal cage clicks into place. So what you're saying is we think we're in phase three trials. There is no trial. We're just rolling it out. Exactly. So the, there's no trial because no trial is possible for these for these countermeasures 
as emergency use under public health emergency. It's not possible to do a clinical trial, legally not possible. So when DOD ordered these countermeasures from private industry, it was very curious way. So there are hundreds of contracts that available. I read some of them. I read for Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca, a few others. They are very similar. They, they give them huge amounts of money. Well, Pfizer was for $10 billion. And they, they, these contracts say the scope of work for this $10 billion is large-scale manufacturing demonstration of this prototype countermeasure. So what I just said is, you just give me a demo of a prototype for 10 billion bucks. It just needs to be a lot of it. Okay. That's the scope of work. Now, what explicitly is carved out of that, and in fact, it says so there, there's a clause that says these $10 billion, we're, not, we're specifically not paying for clinical trials, R&D, the good manufacturing practice compliance, all those regulated items. So we're not paying for that. Can you say that one word? They're not paying for R&D. They're not paying for trials. They're not paying for good lab quality. I'm sorry, say that. Yeah. Yeah. So a good manufacturing process, good manufacturing practice compliance, they're not paying for that. So that, there's explicit statement in the contract that says that the $10 billion is only for demo and not for those things. Those things, the contract says, the manufacturer will do by themselves. Okay. Well, then they're not obligated to. Because the contract, you know, the, the, you have to read contracts in the legal sense, right? So if you have money paid for X, but not for Y, because Y is going to be a voluntary activity, well, then Y can be disregarded completely. Okay, and so that, 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 the, that's, that's how the contracts are written. And in fact, you know, Pfizer went ahead with FDA into this sort of pretend activity that they're doing the R&D and they're doing the good manufacturing practice compliance, but by law, they're not obligated to, and by contract, they're not obligated to. And also the contracts give them complete protection from liabilities through the PREP Act. And there's also a clause in each contract that says so. And it says that for the you know, purposes of this exercise, they include everyone along the supply chain. So not just the manufacturer, but all of their suppliers, all of their contractors, all of the people who deliver this thing, the, the vaccinators at the pharmacies or hospitals or fire departments, wherever they are. Everyone is treated as an HHS employee or government employee for the purposes of this exercise, regardless of where they work, and they're provided full liability protection. So just to summarize, R&D was not ordered by the contracts. R&D is not possible legally for these things, and everybody has complete liability protection. So that's like belt and suspenders. They have complete, complete protection. That seems like that's so horrible. Like, like let me give the example of the the Nazis during World War II. Right? They they did these heinous heinous crimes against against you know the gays and the gypsies and the Jews in these concentration camps. Heinous crimes. Now it was probably legal for them to do it because they just make the laws whatever they want because that's what they can do. That doesn't seem as dissimilar here, but they were eventually tried. Those doctors were tried and they were hung. Now, I'm not calling for any vigilante justice. I want to make that abundantly clear because I know the CIA agents are listening. I know lots of people are listening to this. Not calling for any vigilante justice. I'm calling for actual justice in the courtroom. 
But it seems like they're trying to make it to where we think we have we will never get justice because there's all these these legal things. But when when it's war, you're under a different law set, aren't you? And and if you can't answer that because you're not a lawyer, then that's okay. Uh, well, yeah. So the, it doesn't even have to be, you know, treated as a. Well, it is a war crime, but it's a crime. So we have criminal just. So under criminal statutes, they're not absolved. This is this is all of this is just for the civil liability, and but the criminal criminally they can be held accountable, and so that's what that's the pathway that everybody should consider, especially at the state level. The state level AGs can bring charges. The, the prosecutors, state level prosecutors can do that. Even local judges and prosecutors can do it because this is criminal, what they're doing, and they should be prosecuted as criminal. They've written into these pseudo laws. I mean, they're pseudo laws because they, they are on paper legal, but it's not lawful and it's unconstitutional. So that needs to, as soon as somebody makes progress on the criminal aspect of it, all of this will collapse. And start unraveling. Yeah, and I don't want to see any civil action against this. I don't want to see fines paid. I want to see criminal justice because these people have committed crimes against humanity. And I want to personally offer my services if I can help in any way, any state AG, any state governor. I've got an affidavit that I've already written that is very good about the lipid nanoparticles and how they're not authorized for human use. They're not even authorized for veterinary use. And here they're in the Pfizer. They're also in the Moderna. I can edit it to change change it that way. But we need to see criminal charges pressed against these people because they're they're criminals. Sorry, that's one of those things that really gets me going because it's like they, they make you think that you can't you have no legal avenues because maybe you have no civil legal action, but you have criminal action because these are crimes. They're they they definitely, you know, the, a lot of pre-planning went into designing these, you know, pseudo legal structures that protect them, but they ultimately won't protect them. Just you correct, like just as the, you know, the Nazi government made all of these things legal that they were doing. But it didn't protect them. It fell. And this will fall too. Amen. Okay. Another distraction. Sorry about that. Let's... Is there is there more that you can share with us? Oh yeah, another another important thing was that criteria. So how this, this gets deployed is once the public health emergency is announced, then... Um, the decision to deploy these countermeasures is under sole authority of the HHS secretary. So under Trump, that was Alex Azar. And now it's Javier Becerra or Becerra, I don't know how to pronounce his name. And so he becomes like a dictator, basically. So he holds the most power in the U.S. government. And and again, this is by design because always the criminal organization wants to hide who is really making decisions and, and who's in charge. So he's the one who decides to deploy these countermeasures on everybody. And the only criteria for his decision is because he thinks in his sole capacity that they may be effective. They don't have to be safe. There's no scientific data needs to be available. That's why, as I said, you know, all these clinical trials are performance art. They never, they never factored into any decisions. And he can continue thinking this, that they may be effective forever in perpetuity. There's no stopping criteria as long as the public health emergency is extended, which I think HHS extends by themselves. It's not even the presidential order necessarily. It's, there, there's a distinction between public health emergency and national emergency. 
And so the, that's what, you know, HHS themselves decides when to declare it. And they themselves, there's nobody, there's no congressional review. There's no judicial review. So they neutered both Congress and judicial branch from all of this. So HHS can keep running the scheme forever and never have to consider any data to stop it. And so that's, that's yet another example of completely non, unconstitutional. So like, you know, you can't have just the executive branch and just one agency in the executive branch running some sort of, you know, bioterrorism operation in the United States and nobody can stop it, neither, you know, Congress or, or judicial branch. And that's why, that's why I'm saying that, you know, if we start the criminal prosecutions with honest judges and honest prosecutors, this will fall because it completely cannot withstand any you know, legal scrutiny. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's how they're running this. And that, that explains why they're extending this public health emergency beyond any reason. There is no emergency. They just need it for legal cover to continue running the scam. Wait, and, and that reason right there is they also need our compliance to keep doing these things. And that's why it's so important to not wear a mask because it doesn't do anything for you. It's under EUA. It's an experiment. It's it's experimental use authorized and it does nothing, but it gives them more power. Not only are you lying and becoming more weak, but it gives them more power because you're listening and doing what they say, not what you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they train people in compliance and obedience and so that they can cram more and more ridiculous requirements and eventually, you know, drive them all into a cage. It's like that was it the Milner experiment. I think he found only 20% would disobey. That means 80% shocked people until almost almost death, and some of them passed death, what they thought was death of the patient. Yeah, so that's that's unfortunately what's going on here. But but yeah, we we need to start. You know, more and more people are rejecting these these shots, and the the usage rate is very very low now in the U.S. of Frankly, very few people are continuing these injections, which is great news. But now we need to start unraveling this and, and bringing, bringing all those responsible to justice. So I'm going to plug for a book by Daniel Horowitz real quick and Steve Dace. It's called Rise of the Fourth Reich. And I want to encourage the listeners to go out and get it, not only because it's, it's a, going to be a great book, but there's a whole chapter in there where they call me to the stand to testify at this Nuremberg, this mock Nuremberg 2.0 and, and you can hear my testimony, mostly taken from the, the radio show I did with Daniel Horowitz. It was all the information from that. He wrote it, and he, he put in this book and told me he's going to do that. But I encourage you to go get that. It's coming out in less than six weeks now. But this is what we need to see. We don't just need to see books about it. We need to see the actual thing. And if there's anybody in charge of Nuremberg 2.0, I will volunteer to come wherever I need to go because, or to show up digitally because this is what we need. We need justice to be able to move on. We can't just go, okay, well, let's give amnesty to everybody who committed crimes against humanity, against our children, who have destroyed an entire generation. We can't just go, okay, well, let's give you amnesty. Now, to my neighbor who doesn't know any better, sure. But to the people in charge, they need to seek, they, they need to have justice in the courtroom. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. So that's that's basically you know what I had thank for my you. material. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming. Are there any on, Sasha. questions? Where can people find more of? I now write on Substack. I have a I have a Bitshoot channel where I did a bunch of you know since about a year and a half ago, I did a bunch of video presentations. It's called Team Enigma, and that has all my material kind of in a video format. And then I started writing and updating this in a written form on Substack. 
and you can just search my name or it's called due diligence and art so yeah you can find me there and i'll put a link down below in the show description for for the listeners to, to find that easier Thank you so much for coming on. This is this has been great. This has been eye-opening, and I'm so glad that there are people that are willing to stand up and do the right thing and, and speak about it because it's hard to talk, but it gets easier the more you do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. More professionals. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's been my, my profession to communicate with, with other professionals, but now I'm like, okay, well, I also need to explain to the you know more regular people these technical things. That, that, you know, and I think people find it helpful because the FDA and CDC, they're pulling so much bullshit that it's very hard to discern. And so I'm just trying to, to help on that, on, on that, uh, you know, on that front. Yeah, no, and, and I encourage the listeners to, to strengthen that muscle of speaking and telling the truth also, because the more you do it, the better you get. And I just want to thank you again so much for coming on. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. If there's any way that I can help you, I don't know if there is, but if there is, I'm I'm here to help and happy to help. Well, thank you. No, I hope that your listeners get value from this, and you know they can also find out more on on my on my channels. And yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Just a reminder for everyone out there: duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.